What's up, queens? Welcome to the Female Dating Strategy Podcast, the meanest female-only podcast on the internet. I'm Ro. And I am Savannah. And today we are joined by a very, very special guest. She is a survivor of the sex trade and a radical feminist and awesome, awesome tweeter. Is that the name if somebody uses Twitter? Well, it is now. A twatter. No, I don't think that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what a twatter I'm just... A musketeer? No. Um. <laughs> a tweeter. Anyway, she has an awesome, awesome uh, Twitter account that is an absolute must follow for anybody interested in all things, you know, radical feminism and sex trade abolition as well. I am delighted to welcome the wonderful Roxy Roots to the FDS podcast. Hi, Roxy. Welcome, welcome. Hi. <laughs> nice to be here. Yeah, lovely to meet you, Tim. Thank you so much for joining us. As I've previously just mentioned, I've been following your Twitter for quite a while now, and I always, always, always loved your takes on the sex trade and, and BDSM. And these are some of the issues that we'll be discussing with Roxy in this episode today. And you were recommended to us by Ellie Arrow. Yes, yes. As a person who could talk firsthand about some of the more hidden aspects of the sex trade and like what's it like how girls are shuffled into it and then you know the pathway out uh, so roxy would you like to introduce yourself and you know tell us about yourself yeah sure so i'm roxy roots as you said i am a sex trade survivor and i am a woman with a very common story i would say i feel the classic profile of your quote-unquote woman next door which is someone, you know, who actually started her life with trauma. So I have very early uh, childhood sexual abuse trauma that happened in, you know, in family settings. I'm the youngest of three sisters and it happened to all three of us. And when I was five, it actually came out. So the grooming, my first grooming kind of like came out. And what followed was also something that is very common for women like me, which is, you know, a life lived with the feeling of like being wrong, weird, different, alien. And that kind of like was my feeling up until I actually like snapped out of my final hero's journey of entering and leaving the sex trade. Oh my gosh. So that's, it's quite a traumatic background that you came from then, I guess, in terms of the women that you met during your time in the sex trade, would you say that was quite common for them to come from a similar background to yourself? Oh, absolutely. Like we, you know, we trauma bonded and like for me coming into the sex trade, like I think it's the same story for so many other women that they're searching for belonging as well as like, you know, perhaps like some kind of like feeling of sisterhood. And I think that's what I stumbled into as well. And so a lot of women come from, you know, council housing backgrounds, you know, like they had it really hard. They also had bullying and all this kind of experience. Perhaps there are like more and more like alternative girls getting pushed into the industry as well, because, you know, there's this whole like insecurity thing, like perhaps, well, this is how it was for me, you know, someone who always felt kind of like outlaw or like a misfit or something like that, like to have this industry wave with, you know, wads of cash and social media portraying these women themselves portraying themselves on social media like they've made it and stuff you know this can obviously lead women into this kind of like 
yeah, dream of getting out of the misery that they've been in before. So before I started the, in the sex trade, I never had a job for longer than a year. I've worked in corporate world. I worked everywhere, but like I couldn't, like I can't. I have like the highest sick days, like I can't work. So that is something that I've heard women say, women with like trauma experiences and women with mental health. They're now even saying it. They're doing this work, like quote unquote work, online prostitution in the form of OnlyFans, for example, because it's the only job, the only job that they find is like an option for them, you know? So it's like a meeting ground for all these outlaws. And yeah, I trauma bonded with lots of my former quote unquote colleagues. And I felt like, oh my God, we're so similar, but we are, I don't know. <laughs> That's what I probably said back then was like, at least I'm getting paid for it, I guess. Yeah. So that's an interesting tidbit because that is, that has been an argument I've seen from a lot of sex workers is that, oh, well, I couldn't work a normal job. And a lot of it has to do with untreated trauma, untreated mental illness, untreated learning disabilities. And so a lot of women who tried office work and there's like, you know, there's a structure to office work. There's like a culture around it. So it can be really difficult. And I say this as a person who also grew up really, really poor, didn't understand a lot of the language of like an office work. And yeah, and felt like, you know, like an outsider, felt like a weirdo myself. That yes, if you come into that kind of environment where you're dealing with people that are fortunate enough to not have poverty or trauma, they have like a whole language in the way that they are. And it can be really alienating for people who don't experience. And I feel like I sometimes do feel like women in particular can be like, there's not as much like outreach or coaching for women like that. Whereas I feel like for men, sometimes you feel like the white collar work is to sort of uh, integrate them into the group. But for women, it's really easy to fall through the cracks and then become, you know, economically vulnerable enough for someone else, you know, someone who is giving you the promise of fast cash and an easy life and, set, you know, setting your own schedule. Like all the things that people that do these uh, marketing schemes, like multi-level marketing schemes, like promise people, except it's just for the sex trade. Because you think it's going to be a, a pathway for a job that, you know, gives you obviously financial stability, but also uh, doesn't put like the same cultural, structural pressure of showing up to a traditional white collar job. Yeah. But we also have to obviously say like with it comes or what pushes women into that is obviously the normalization of it all and also the sheer ignorance of how the normalization and the, even like, you know, the lobbying for removing highly dangerous sex practices out of, you know, mental health diagnosis books and stuff like that, that actually, you know, leads to women not even acknowledging or realizing or knowing or understanding that what they're doing to themselves or what they regard as sex or edgy, progressive sexual behavior that it's not, <laughs> you know, and that's, I think, really difficult these days. It seems like a lot of women's emotional trauma is like criminally undiagnosed if it doesn't follow along certain sexism lines. And that was a conversation we had with uh, some users who are autistic who were talking about the same thing where it's like a lot of the signs and symptoms are things of uh, learning disabilities or a neurotypical behavior. But because no one explains it to them, there's no like medical health, there's no resource, the people that are like, you know, they're so vulnerable to these guys to just swoop in and give them like something that seems like it'll work if you're not neurotypical, if you're struggling with trauma or mental illness. Absolutely. And with boundaries in general, which is something that I think trauma creates a lot and especially in women with the type of trauma that we 
are dealing with from, you know, perhaps like teenage years or something. Um, so can you talk a bit about how you managed to find yourself in the sex trait and, you know, what that whole experience was like in terms of the Johns and I guess like the day-to-day dynamic? Because part of the reason why I feel like this is a bit of almost like, you know, trauma hunting, but part of the reason why is that I feel like in the dominant discourse or when you speak to sex workers on Twitter, they try to portray the job as one thing. And when I've interacted with sex workers on Twitter, I can literally see the cognitive dissonance where, you know, they'll say, I get to set my own hours. I get to work for myself. You know, my clients respect me. And then when I look at their profile and then I scroll down several tweets, it's like, you know, them lamenting that a client has recently disrespected them in an awful, awful way. So from my interactions with sex workers, I do feel like they hold a lot of cognitive dissonance towards the job and what it involves and their feelings towards it. It'll be interesting to hear the perspective that you have as somebody that has actually been in the industry. Yeah, what got me into it? Lifelong, really, really bad boundaries and basically early sexual, like hypersexuality, basically, like, you know, as trauma abuse survivors can either go 180 or like the complete opposite end. And I turned out to be someone who stumbled way too early across porn and stuff like that. And then with the separation of my parents, I basically like quote unquote matured overnight. Like I was like, I need to be grown now. I'm grown now. And so I had my first time like very early, like, yeah. And that's kind of like how it went on. I had like long-term relationships. So I had my first relationship from 13 to like 19, 20 on and off as well. Like it was very toxic, very, very toxic. Like, you know, I literally like thinking back and this is what I was, the sentiment that I was in when I was like 27, when I stumbled into it was like, look, I've always been like, you know, my life long, like so far I've been in long-term relationships. So, you know, this first one and then like a four year long and then like a short one. And then I was like, always with like boys that looked at me two minutes, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, he sees me because I felt invisible like my whole life. And so whenever a man would look at me, I'd be like, yeah, I want to be normal. Like, you know, with the trauma, what kept coming into my head was like, how am I not fucked from what happened to me as a child, right? I want to be normal. So I performed this heterosexuality. Whenever a man looked at me, I just went with him and I got very obsessive and stuff like that. My first relationships were like that. So I learned more and more and ended up basically with 27. I had, you know, stopped with the toxic relationship. I thought I was like, okay, you know, I've understood it now. I'm just fucking around with narcissists. That's not it. Maybe, you know, I'll do this like, you know, kinky stuff now and like kind of like do what I didn't do in my teenage years as they were all like dating and stuff like that. And I was in Brighton, obviously. So what groomed me was Brighton. (laughs) I have to, you know, just say. So I actually left. Sorry, I'm... American over here. Sorry. What is that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Brighton, the progressive flag waving uh, kink and queer uh, scene. Place in the UK, yeah. A place in the UK, yeah. It's by the, by the sea. It's in the south. But, you know, yeah, like Roxy said, it's quite progressive, quite quirky. Basically, almost like a town of misfits that is accepting of anyone and everyone. Like even the infrastructure and housing is just quirky and just, you know, looks out of place. But it works down in Brighton. Like, you know, you'll see people walking around with like pink hair or like, you know. So it's basically (laughs) European San Francisco. 
the American or the yeah, but probably say a lot more like misfitty is Brian. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's along similar lines. Yeah. So okay, so question. So yeah, just talking about your relationship. So I wanted to point this out because this is something that a lot of women, trauma or not, have fallen into is like the performative femininity because you want that sense of normalcy. I feel like that's a trap that so many women fall into, trauma or not but especially girls who've experienced trauma because you feel like, oh, I want to have this relationship. I want to you know, paint this picture perfect family. But the way that a lot of times the messages that women get, it's so much about performing femininity and not understanding how to vet men properly so that you are being safe, right? Or you're picking the type of guys who will be safe for you if you want to have a relationship. So I think that's a very important thing because I think that's it's frustrating because you think like feminism would more or less like uh, focus on that. But so much of it has become about like, are you performing the right type of femininity? And on the right, it's obviously like conservatism. But on the left, it's like this kind of, yeah, like weirdo kink stuff and calling that feminism and saying that women are going to find empowerment through that rather than like focusing on like how to build healthy self-esteem and healthy relationships and vet men properly. So I just wanted to point that out because I think that would be helpful. I think that piece is so helpful for women who are experiencing trauma and like making those same types of logical, maybe missteps because of everything they're consuming from the media and their family, really, you know, about what they deserve and what their place is in the world. The interesting thing with all of my former abusive partners were that they were like, quote unquote, like artists and like, you know, kind of like, how would I call them? Like they're fucking... I'm assuming they're left wing and, and I think like more progressive, left wing, abstract, artsy types. Yeah, but also like, you know, quote unquote, like, you know, not masculine, like, you know, more like soft boy, I would call them, you know, that was soft boy, soy boy. <laughs> yeah, that was my trap. And I think, well, my opinion, you know, now that I've been through a lot, like, you know, obviously, and I've met way too many men, <laughs> I think vetting boyfriends is really difficult because they all turned out to be fucking lunatics after a while. Like sometimes it took a couple of years. Sometimes, you know, like the whole like abuse stuff started at some point and it wasn't really predictable in many ways, I would say. But then again, with all the media, as you said, how can women actually like learn to trust their guts when all they see and learn and consume and can learn about like healthy boundaries or healthy ways to communicate? It definitely seems like, and I think this is purposeful, that it's just a way to split women politically in ways that benefit men, right? Because like, you know, you can feel like, oh, the men on my side are superior rather than understanding like, no, they're all kind of the same. Like they take different political sides and they have different ways that they present themselves. But at the end of the day, if you don't empower yourself as a woman or push back on certain things, like they'll try to exploit you. And it doesn't really have a political affiliation. I think it's a trap to think like, Oh, because he has progressive values or because he's like artsy and open that he won't be a, a misogynist, abusive scrote. Yeah. <laughs> like for me, again, sexual abuse um, experience really fucks you up and fucks everything up. And I only really come across like, you know, I, like really, really deeply understood it now, taken a lot of time for me to understand that like performing all this stuff, like literally I was so fucked from the early stuff that I saw on the internet and I was very, like I was very sensitive I'm a very sensitive woman like I'm really emotional and easily triggered obviously and obviously this pornography that I saw when I was like maybe like 12 or something in school from some boys on on the screen it obviously really twisted my mind a lot and yeah and I obviously got into this 
I was porn addicted, but like I sought it out and I know exactly that's why I will speak on knowing that the content that I was seeking out way too early in my teenage years and stuff like that, that I knew this was bad. Like I knew it, I felt it, I knew when I watched it, like I knew that this wasn't good or healthy, but I would still do it so perpetuate like, you know, misogyny. I will also say that I always pictured myself in the like the male role. I was always like, ugh. In my head, I was like, no, I'm, that's not me, that person there, like the woman part. That was very early. And yeah, so I got into depravity, but through the lens of like, you know, it was becoming not more and more normal in the mid 2010s and stuff like, you know, my early womanhood and like my late teens, like in the early 2000s, it became more normal and more like, you know, kind of like edgy and cool and stuff. And as someone who never fit in, never had like friends, like lots of friends or like uh, I always lacked like depth and everything. I literally, yeah, I said yes to the depravity. And I, I admit that like that, you know, thinking back, I know that it's the shame that, you know, if you are ashamed of yourself already, then you involve yourself with something really shameful and it's like kind of like it's a self-harm I guess like psychological self-harm in a way that I was I want to make sure that people don't feel like if they've done sex work that they have to be ashamed you know because I feel like ultimately like them Johns are the ones who should be fucking ashamed of themselves like it's an industry how I always think of it as a parallel is like sometimes especially if you're in an economically desperate situation or you're experiencing trauma it's like some people, and like I know some guys, for example, who when they were younger, they were poor, they grew up in what would be the hood here in the States, what we would call the like ghetto, like large high rise apartments in inner cities. And I mean, they sold drugs, they did things like they hustled, they stole, and they did things that they had to do to survive. And they've gone on to go to college and like become upstanding citizens. But you know, if you thought, if you looked at them a certain way, like, oh, I can't believe you're doing this or you're like this you know, and having society look down on them because they come from poverty and they're doing essentially like a survival work, both because they, this is the only thing they know, it's the only thing they see, this is where they feel like they can fit in. I think it's important to understand like that a lot of times people, especially if that's like their economic outcome, like if they feel they can be part of a community in that way, that it's a completely normal thing. Like, and like, you know, you're not hurting anybody. You just participated in a trade that uh, was set up by men a long time ago to exploit women just like you, right? Absolutely. I was just talking about the shame of watching pornography. And I think everyone that watches pornography, actually, and especially the brutal ones, you know, that's actually <laughs> swept in the internet, like very early on in the early 2000s already. That's the pornography I'm talking about. And that's the pornography that I was, you know, that I saw way too early. And that does something to you. And watching it, I know for myself, and I know that, you know, we call it, boys call it like the men call it the post not clarity kind of thing they know what they watch is abuse and I knew that back then as well but I was like detached from it and when I watched it I would just view it from the male angle I'd be like oh yeah I wish I was this man like whatever that's literally how I used to watch porn and that was how someone who grew up with shame around all of this topic kind of like you know it is also a form of grooming and grooming in the form of like looking at pornography and knowing what you're watching there is really brutal and it must you know feel a certain way but like you just look at it detached and you're like that's kind of disgusting but also it turns me on like and it's really a weird thing it's a really really weird thing but again it's built from shame like i think it's the basis of it is shame when men and women watch it 
what it creates. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. Yeah, again, I don't think there's any shame if you end up in the sex trade at all. But yeah, again, shame all the scrotes that experience and talk openly about the post-nut clarity in which they literally say that they have to close their computer really quickly because they know. <laughs> they know. They know it's Kuma behavior. They know. <laughs> but yeah, so the sex trade was, you know, I watched porn early in my teens, so I knew what it was, you know. And yeah, coming back to the Brighton story and at the nudist beach in Brighton was where I met a photographer who I now understand is like a fucking coomer who made it to uh, be a guy who... He is a photographer and film person. Like, he, he studied that, and now he's, like, doing it on the side that he, you know, offering his services to the industry. And he's been doing this for, like, 10 years. Met him in Brighton on the nudist beach, where I was just there because I'm, like, a hippie, and I just like to be, you know, free what I didn't... Yeah, it was just... We actually... Yeah, we were there through a former raver friend and he had with him a model who was like five six seven years younger than me like early 20s i was like 27 right and she had like a mercedes and like all of the things she was like rich and stuff and she was in the trade she was a model glamour model is what she introduced herself and she flirted with me, like back then and I would call myself still bisexual. So I was infatuated with her and she was like, oh, you're so sexy. Oh, she's his bottom bitch. With your alternative look. Mm. And she kind of like lured me in, yeah, quote unquote, groomed me because she told me that I would make it like, you know, 50 quid an hour. That's how easy it is. And I've been doing this since I'm 18. And I look at me now, I'm really rich. And I get lots of jobs and stuff like that. And you're always in control. I don't do any boy girl. What she failed to tell me back then was that she was doing boy girl, but in the form of prostitution, which she wouldn't be saying. She would just call it uh, like photographer. She would call it like for private content. And then it was like, you know, I didn't know that. <laughs> But she basically told me that only through like nude modeling and my own rules, like, you know, my own levels back then, I was like, oh, yeah, solo. I mean, if she says I'm pretty, like I never looked at myself like that. You know, I was a punk. I was a, you know, like I was always like a kind of freak. I always cut my own hair. I had a mullet back then. Like, you know, come on, you know, <laughs> it really worked. And that's how she got me in. That's such a common technique. Like I said, it sounds like uh, that photographer's bottom bitch. They have a word for it. It's called bottom bitch. It's a girl that uh, is used as like the anchor of the sex trafficking, the hook. Because like in most situations, especially for women, like if you don't have a woman there to like disarm the situation, then a, a woman might clock it as exploitative immediately. Whereas like when you have a woman come in and like basically market the sex trade to other women, you're more likely to trust her. And this is why, again, the sex workers work thing is so, it's just so icky because there was a video recently that was released of Andrew Tate and he's, he's obviously in a Romanian prison right now, but his like his business plan was exactly that. And he said it in a very like misogynist, he didn't sugarcoat his words at all, where he basically said the first, his bottom bitch, the first girl he got in his sex, uh, his webcam sex trade organization was his girlfriend, his girlfriend who he'd had this like, you know, off and on abusive relationship with. And then he said, oh, I can't get other girls to cam for me if I just go hook them. Like, like we have to find other women and like these bitches got to be in love with me. And then like we can make money off of them. Right. So like they incentivize the bottom bitch to stay and groom other girls because they say that like she's making money off recruiting girls for him. And then like she's the anchor in the hook. 
What you're saying is this is such a common tactic that it's like, I mean, it's, it's one of uh, many ways that women get groomed into the sex trade. And I wanted to point it out because I feel like whenever we talk about sex work is work, when you talk about actually the mechanisms about how women are groomed into this profession, there's just nothing feminist about it. And if you're like, if you're disgusted with Andrew Tate and you still think sex work is work, you're going to have to ask yourself why. Because technically, if you think this is a job, like this is just the recruitment arm of a legitimate job, right? Like, why are you disgusted at like someone like Andrew Tate who says the truth about how the sex trade is? Like, he doesn't couch it in flowery words or try to make it look nice. He's just like, it's a capitalist uh, industry. And he uses women to recruit other women who they intimidate with fear and shame. And then he makes money off of that. And there's always these type of characters. There's always the man behind the, the entire operation and the woman who's like his right-hand woman that helps to groom other girls. They make bank off grooming other girls into the profession. And that is, it's ultimately very capitalist. And that's why I kind of feel like it's delusional to think it can ever be female friendly because, you know, it's really hard for labor to exert power, especially if they're traumatized labor or poor labor. Absolutely. What I have to say to this is she only really knew him just then. So the thing that the situation that we have now or generally women who are in the sex trade and I, <laughs> I've done it too, is that you will always sell your job as like really cool, especially if you actually have money. So once you are in the sex trade, it's really difficult to be like, this is actually what I do. Like, you know, she obviously could only tell me what she sounded best. When I asked her about what she was doing and how she set up her business, she obviously wouldn't tell me this very important detail, for example. So the grooming already happens because women are so cognitively dissonant when they are in the trade that it doesn't even have to be that they are, quote unquote, like bottom bitches connected to someone, but they just do it themselves because just to legitimize what they do and actually because sex workers work and here I am, you know, I'm driving the Spence. Like, isn't that fucking class? Like, even though I might have been groomed into the sex trade before I was 18, because this, you know, I'm not going to go too much into detail, but like there was a story and she also has like some, you know, trauma happened to her. So again, once you're in the trade, you will just pretend everything is fine. And this is actually really important. The sex trade this is the realization that I had that got me out is that the sex trade is literally like a narcissist abusive boyfriend. You know, it's like it starts with grooming, aka future faking, like, you know, hey, young newcomer, like you can do all these things, like look at you, look at you, and there's what's a cash for you like this if you do webcamming and all this kind of stuff. And then whenever something bad happens to you, you just like, you know, you compartmentalize, you're like, ah, oh, you know, that's just one thing. I'll just do that and that, you know, I'll just stop working with these people or whatever. Like whenever you talk to the outside world, you will always just tell them everything's fine. You know, like might've had like a bad day, but it's fine. It's like a toxic relationship, which is really hard to get out. So that's the kind of structures that I find kept me in long-term relationships as well as as the sex trade because you know there's also the hope of like you know if it doesn't really work out or it's been years and you're not really making lots <laughs> maybe there is the day the day will come the day will come if i keep working if i keep shifting and perhaps like you know changing the niches or cut my hair or change my boobs or maybe then you know there's the zero sum cost game isn't that what it's called like you know once you are in you're like he can't be that bad I couldn't have chosen the wrong one. 
this can't be happening to me. You know, that's the pattern. That's the same pattern. I think that's such a powerful analogy when you compare sex work to being in an abusive relationship because it's exactly that and it follows the exact same steps as well. And it also contextualizes why it's so difficult for women to leave. So on that note, you know, like how did you manage to extract yourself from the industry? By realizing that I was in the worst of all of the toxic relationships that I've ever been in with what I would now call a porn chaser, porn addicted coomer, <laughs> like literally the worst of all of the ones like I've never ever met anyone so as depraved as this man and he loverboyed me f over twitter while i was actually have like meltdown as you were mentioning earlier <laughs> like as i had every now and then like fuck all of you lurkers on my twitter you know i had like 130k you know on my porn twitter because i was like doing these like retweet groups now I can go into the details of like how fucked up the whole thing is online. And I would love to hear actually, because I think it's important to the mechanism. So, okay. So when you say lover boy, you mean like he tried to align himself? Yeah. Like I had this meltdown. I was like, oh my God, I hate all of you. Like what the fuck? And I'm not making any money. And like, uh, it was 2019 and like the HIV porn ban was just like across the globe. Like all industries have to stop because of uh, this one guy, I forgot his name, like this fucking disgusting ass American porn man. And I had this moment of like, oh my God, this whole, industry, like, what the fuck? Like, and all the men that I've had met up until that point is all blue. And basically he came into my DMs and I uh, was like, hey, you're really cute. And like, you're very, and again, you know, you can tell me like, as I said, like I got into relationships because men were like literally talking to me or, and they didn't look too bad. Like, you know, and that's what he did. And very low standards. Like, you know, he asked if he should bring some food for our first like uh, date. And I was like, oh my God, he's so like, you know, like lowest of the expectations. Anyway, yeah. So I was with him for like one and a half years. In that time, he gave me STIs. Like I was obviously in the industry. I was still like shooting with people. And he was like starting to say stuff like, you know, you should only shoot with me, but I want to shoot with women because, and he was like basically like getting into the industry through me. I was already like a quote unquote big name, whatever, blah, 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 blah. He asked me for lots of money all the time and I trusted him. And I, you know, he also obviously had a baby mama. There was like really horrible stuff that happened. Like, you know, he's some black Jamaican guy. Like, if oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I'm saying, yeah. I'm I'm saying nothing. <laughs> he was a yardy. Like, he was literally like out of jail. Like, you know, the whole thing. And I literally believed the whole, like, oh yeah, I've changed. Jamaican men don't have like three families. Like, <laughs> I live like two blocks from each other. Honestly, oh my God. <laughs> It's actually quite a common story from sex workers where they'll be with a guy who doesn't like their line of work, but who is essentially funded by the sex worker's lifestyle. And they'll just be leeching off them. Yeah, like I said, men are capitalists, right? They see that and like, damn, she's probably making a lot of money. I bet <laughs> I can get into this trade by making her my girlfriend. And then like, you know, slowly coercing you to shoot with him and, uh, you know, making money off your back, right? That's the crazy thing about men. It's like, they can see the capitalist opportunity. The sad part is like, I think they figure because so many of these women are already doing sex in the first place that they're easily manipulated. You know, a guy who's predatory is going to see that and like see cash dollars. I bet 
when he saw him the first time, there was like dollar signs coming out of his eyeballs. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's how they, a lot of them are. So question, um, just to clarify. So you did both pornography and also, did you do full service sex work, like private sex work? No, no, no. So like, you know, we skipped the whole part, actually. <laughs> I started off with modeling, you know, low levels, like with high levels, you know. Anyway, so I started off with like nude and dessous and femdom from the beginning and then webcamming on adult work also kind of early on because I've understood that you don't have work every day. Like, you know, you don't just magically get shit everywhere. Like, you know, Twitter profile, then adult modeling profile, then webcamming profile and then soon came OnlyFans because everyone was raving about it. It was like, you know, end 2017, start of 18. And then in 18, I was getting more and more DMs because that's what they do. And this is literally the industry. This is how you lose your boundaries. You're like already stepping into the depravity. You're on Twitter. There's like all these hashtags, like you can see all the fucking insane shit. And there is either producers or big name performers, male usually, coming into your DMs being like, oh, hey, like new here, you're so cute, whatever. Yeah, and that's what happened pretty early. I understood that with my look, which was, you know, as I said, alternative. With the look of an alternative, you usually get submissive and BDSM stuff offered as modeling jobs, you know, or as porn or soft porn or whatever. There was no interest in alt girls portraying anything else. So always like, you know, chains and all this kind of stuff. I did more and more of that then. Like, you know, only soft, glamorous, not glamorous, but like, uh, you know, BDSM type of stuff, but never really like just posing. Yeah. And then there was the mainstream people 2018. Like I didn't have much money. Like it wasn't really working for me. I wasn't booked as much. And then there was men producers coming in and being like, yeah, do you want to shoot for us? And I always had this modeling friend, you know, the woman that got me in and she was always there and she would like verify these people because she'd been in the industry and she'd be like, you know, reassuring me if I should shoot with them or not. And so I should shoot in, I shot in total like in 2018. And probably until like 2019, I don't really know because I dissociated half of the time. I shot, I think, maybe like 10 scenes, maybe like boy, girl, quote unquote, you know, that's penis and vagina. And you get like 300 to 315 quid for it. Wait, okay, so question. So they didn't even like share the profits with you. They gave you a flat rate. You get 350 for, and it doesn't matter how long the shooting day is. And obviously you get the 350 after the guy has come on your face and you don't know these men before sometimes a lot like I started off with like having an age limit because I'm, I'm an abuse survivor I can't do like old men like that's really bad because it was my granddad so I, I started off with like you know I have my limits like please respect them but like it turned out like they're just all old men like halfway like they're all over 45 or something like disgusting but you know once you woke up at a shoot you know, it's really difficult. And that's what I want to say about like, oh yeah, you knew what you were going to get yourself into. No, you don't fucking ever know what you're getting yourself into because you roll up there. You might have had like some quote unquote professional conversation via email because you don't do that on the phone. You're like very, you know, here's my fees. Here's my thing, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, that's the details for the shoot. Come there, blah. So 
you rock up with your fucking stupid suitcase with your stupid porn clothes and your fucking high heels and you bring as much as you can because you never know what you're gonna get or what you have to wear or whatever and you have to do your own makeup and then you'll do the whole like still photography which takes sometimes like an hour or two or something and you meet this guy and you literally just like shoot sometimes you get like ask hey well i'm taking a shower now so we are both like really fresh sometimes they just like well we shoot now and like you know as someone who doesn't have boundaries you don't know how to act like you know everyone's like yeah be professional what is professional like what is the way to say i'm uncomfortable with that wash your stink ass before you fuck me yeah (laughs) yeah and like their bosses like they've hired you so like how do you say anything you know and it's the same with what happens to you then when you get like treated like shit while on camera because you have to be focused on the camera all the time like you know because you're always in the center and that's how they fuck you over like the whole breaking a woman in pornography happens because whilst you are in this ordeal of what's happening to you you have to concentrate constantly on how you look and what your body like how you are standing like how you look like from the side or whatever there's constantly people in your face I've been only on like filthy shoots, like uh, quote unquote, like, you know, there are big sites, but there's only one other person than the, the men there. And so like, <laughs> it's really hard to snap out of something like that. Easy for them to curse them too. So that was something very similar. I mean, one of the most infamous American porn stars is a woman named Lana Rhodes and very similar story to you. And she ended up in the porn industry and she talked about all the time how they would tell her one thing when she was like, you know, interviewing for the job to come shoot porn. And then she'd get there and it'd be a completely different story. And they'd basically just force or coerce her in it, like stuff like making her eat vomit, like stuff like that. Like, it's just really like they want to do these disgusting things to these girls, but they know that you would never do it if they disclose it up front. So they're counting on the fact that they can intimidate you in the moment. So like, that's all that's deliberate. You know what I mean? (laughs) And I think part of the appeal for these producers, especially, or just these men involved in the industry, is knowing that the woman wouldn't want to do it, but she has to do it anyway. And I think this is part of, you know, when people talk about Johns, especially, it's weird how they say things like, oh, they're really respectful. You know, some of these like lefty Johns will say like, I'm hiring a sex worker, I'm really respectful of women, when actually a lot of Johns will say, you know, part of the thrill comes in coercing or getting a woman to do something that they know she doesn't want to do, but she does it anyway, just to make them happy. So the lack of consent is the appeal for them. And this is why things like, you know, sex work and the porn industry can never truly be ethical, because the industry thrives off the lack of consent. That's what you know, gets a lot of these men off. They know the woman is in pain. They know that the woman didn't consent, but they just don't care. And actually that aspect of the industry is what's most appealing to them. If we look at the BDSM industry, which we'll, which we'll talk about in a bit, Roxy, because I know you have experience in that as well, is that there's that Madonna Hall complex. I'm not sure if you came across it where, you know, doms would be like, for example, subs who would do whatever they wanted they actually look down on those women. And, you know, some, I never got this comment myself, but other submissives that I came across, they would say like, because, you know, like, oh, like my dom said he can never do what he does with me to his wife because he likes and respects her too much. Because he's compartmentalized that sub as being, I guess, part of BDSM as well, is that pushing of boundaries. He's compartmentalized her as being somebody who is willing 
to compromise her boundaries. And what's even more fucked up is that he then looks down on her for it, even though that's what he wanted. Honestly, like when it comes to like BDSM in the sex industry, like the male psyche is just incredibly fucked up. And I'm not sure that many women realize that just how fucked it really is. So one thing that you mentioned was about how like you only got about $350. Pounds. I think you said 350 pounds. Okay. So or euros. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> trying to do the conversion rate in my head to what it is in the US, but like somewhere probably around like $400 American. So, but these guys, so how do they exhibit these films? So I'm assuming, obviously they made a lot of money probably off of your film. So like they give you a flat rate for the day and then who owns the video? Do you have any ownership of the video or the guys own the video and they can distribute it? No. Wow. Okay. So important about the coercion aspect as well, just before in the porn scene, you set the rate before they know with newcomers that a lot of them don't actually know how much to ask for. So they will ask you, they will be like, hey, what's your rate? A lot of newcomers think like 150 is maybe like enough or whatever, and they'll take it. You know, that's really, really important. I had this model friend who was in the industry for a long time. So she told me I could ask for way more than, than you now if I would start boy girl, which she didn't do officially then. But she told me when I asked her, ah, yeah, like a newcomer rate is 350. So that's what I went for. I did always do the haggling thing. I always started off with like, especially if they're big name companies, I'd be like, ah, I'd ask for like 400 and they'd be like, nah, flat out. No, our general rate is 350. That's what all models get. And that's you either take it or you don't. So, and very important, obviously, we get paid after the money shot. Like you will endure everything because you know you will get it after the money shot. And in obviously extreme BDSM abuse pornography, you will only get it after you film the end bit where you are asked if you were under the influence and if you liked everything that was done to you and which you will obviously say yes to because otherwise you don't get your fucking money. Wow. They won't pay you unless you lie. I did one really bad scene in which I had to split in half. Like it was, I couldn't uh, keep filming after hours and hours. Uh, I actually shat myself. I will just say that. I, he treated me so badly, like, and uh, from the deep throating, you know, from me being really nervous and not eating properly before, from the deep throating, you know, because you have to gag so much, like my whole like intestinal system, like everything was really like, you know, when you have like, it's really bad. So I actually had diarrhea, like, and then they were like, yeah, well, it's really bad. I was crying. I was a really like, it was the worst day of my whole life. And they were like, yeah, well, I was actually apologizing. I was apologizing. Like this only happened because it was the roughest ever. It was rape, like actual like fucking rape. And I like literally, and then I had to come back the next day uh, because that's when I got my money and they didn't pay me more or anything. I got 350 after we had to, I had to travel there again, lose money because I had to pay that second trip on my own and still got only 350 quid. They still put that clip online and yes i had to film the disclaimer at the end where i said oh this was a great shoot would love to come back <laughs> that's so disturbing that they tie your payment as a condition of you pretending like you consented to everything that's such trash and i think if there was any way to attack the sex industry to force some kind of change i would almost make that like some kind of legal requirement like you get paid whether or not uh you do that like quote unquote disclaimer that's trash so the other question is, okay, so they have ownership of the video. So then how did they distribute it? Because a lot of people were saying, 
so there's some women that are like, oh, you know, they've accumulated enough followers on OnlyFans. So like they do these like shoots because then they make money on their OnlyFans. But do these guys keep the video and then they make money on their platform and then you only get the flat rate? No, I mean, women do stuff with mainstream companies because that's how they get their name up and that's how they get more exposure. That's the reason. Unless you go, you shoot like really extreme stuff like the only way that you can make money in pornography like these days if you do like you know triple anal in the czech republic like you know if you go to prague or uh if you go like do the really really hardcore stuff yeah i only did like you know just boy girl like if you do boy girl then it's like a blowjob three positions and then the money shot like you know uh more or less yeah, so we were talking about this with Guildines and then also from our independent research that right around the pandemic, so like 2019, 2020, when a lot of women started signing up for OnlyFans and finding out like the average earnings was something like $180 a month. And a lot of it had to do with like oversaturation of the market and that the women who tend to make a lot of money on OnlyFans are the women who came from the mainstream porn industry who had name recognition. But obviously, the mainstream porn industry is crazy exploitative. So like, meaning they didn't get paid. Like Lana Rhodes, for example, she said like she did like a lot of films and she said she didn't even crack six figures. And I think she did like 70 films over the course of a year. Like she was doing them like twice a week and didn't even crack like six figures like from the, uh, the porn industry, like the mainstream porn industry. But because she did so many films... Eventually, when she went did her own OnlyFans, she was then able to make a lot more money on OnlyFans because she had done so much basically free work, almost like damn near free work for the mainstream porn industry. So that's interesting because that's the lie of OnlyFans, right? A lot of them are like, oh, and you know, like, and obviously, OnlyFans gives a percentage of uh, earnings to people who get other people to sign up for OnlyFans. So a lot of the lie of OnlyFans up until now has been that, like, oh, you'll yeah, the, the independence aspect of it. But the truth of the matter is like the way that these people are getting exposure is either the mainstream porn industry or they do like or like the New York Post, at least I don't know what the equivalent is in Germany, but like the New York Post or the Guardian will like make an article about like, oh, this teacher decided to quit uh, her job as a teacher to become a porn. And so like it's basically like a subtle advertisement for a person's OnlyFans. I mean, it's like any type of content creation, really. I mean, there's going to be people that make a lot of money at it, and so most, but most people won't. And then, like, in order to get exposure, you have to go through a channel where people will recognize you. So that's that's interesting. But but if you go that way, they're going to force you to do really fucked up things for a little bit of money. And obviously, I mean, that's what I did. So I, I, even though I was like very determined, like I was like, you know, I'm never going to be a sub. Like, you know, I did one sub scene, but like, you know, I did, you know, webcamming. I did domination like all the time through, but like, you know, the odd session, like, but then there's these few big UK, like, you know, it's a really small island, like there's not much happening, but I shot with the, you know, on the lower side, like on the lower end, there is some like, quote unquote, higher, bigger production, I guess. Yeah, not just Gonzo and like, uh, fucking GoPro cameras, but like proper cameras and maybe a makeup artist. But um, I shot like with the lower end spectrum people. And I was hoping for more exposure. Like I was like, okay, if my name gets out, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, yeah, so I did the, the mainstream time. And during that time, I had an OnlyFans as well, like already from 18 onwards. But yeah, I'm, I'm a really good example. I had lots of lurkers from this exposure on my Twitter then. Like they found me on Pornhub or whatever from these scenes, but they wouldn't sign up to my fucking OnlyFans, which I had uh, back then. I still had at the beginning, like I was one of the first views, like the, yeah, the payout, like numbers were only like maybe like thousands or something. Like there weren't many people on there yet, but yeah, mainly like these 
professional porn stars, whatever. And because I was then like, you know, I'm a porn star. And I was like, yeah, you know, it probably is going to work. But yeah, I had my price at like 10 or 12 or like 15 dollars. And no one was coming. No one was coming. Like it was really difficult. Like, you know, and so I, with my kind of like, you know, edgy, weird look, whatever, I had to do more nude on Twitter, like more showing something. It would go on Reddit as well. Like, you know, as you have, like you have to do that because OnlyFans doesn't give you exposure themselves. Like you have to just put your link everywhere. I only used like Reddit and Twitter for advertisement. But yeah, it didn't really work. And for me, I only really got money on OnlyFans in 2020. But that was because I was in the industry for longer time then I had lots of connections and I had like connections to and these connections that kept me in this industry were these like super rich femdoms like they were fucking I went to femdom balls like in London there's this like femdom ball is a like worldwide event all the mistresses come like it's insane like pfft. And I was just there with my, you know, I will admit, like, you know, I was never into fashion and shit like that. You know, I just bought secondhand, like some fucking high heels, whatever. I saw some that looked kind of like, all right, you can work with that. Whatever. All of my outfits, I bought like secondhand shit. And they were all with their like super expensive, like latex stuff. That's like, you know, it was also mad, like, you know. But anyway, I had a friend who I met, she was in New York dominatrix and she got me into like retweet groups and like she gave me tips and she got me in connection with assistants and that is basically where we are now is that by the time that OnlyFans boomed it was already the case that most of the accounts that are really high earners like you know they're not run by the people themselves like you know they have some fucking assistant they do everything they literally do everything and also by the time the market was so over flooded and it became like really homogenized and every single creator every single woman started using daddy as the like term for like everywhere like you know when hey daddy hey daddy everywhere like it didn't fucking <laughs> oh my god so the irony is like and Lana Rhodes has talked about this too, is that like all of this work and it's not even that well paid. In fact, you probably could make as much money like posting cat videos on YouTube. Cause she even talked about how like the thing about it is like if you do porn, cause you're essentially a, an influencer, right? It's really even hard to like uh, get sponsorships like going that way. So like a lot of porn stars like that tried to leave the industry just tried to become like legit influencers so they could actually get brand deals. So it's like because of the oversaturation in the market of porn and then you can't even really get brand deals and all of the major studios don't pay much like the studios that you would have to go to get your name out of there. Like it's just like a complete racket at this point and that you're better off even if you're like financially desperate and need money right away. You're actually better off like posting cat videos or like trying to be like a mainstream influencer so that you can potentially get uh, like even just get like a sponsorship link or something where like if somebody uses your link code than trying to do porn because it's like once you're in that loop unless you're one of the lucky ones that gets like you know you have, who gets like a huge audience and that's probably not going to happen until you do a ton of legitimate until you do a lot of uh, work in the mainstream porn industry like in the form industry then you're going to do a, you're going to be underpriced for a very very long time you know obviously like we're at your body and then kind of you're going to have so many movies out there to be really really hard for you to leave the industry so I want to say that because I know so many women are getting into like the survival sex work game, but like truthfully, like it's at the point where it doesn't even make economic sense to do porn anymore, 
right? Like it's not even to make you as much money as if you just did like, I mean, I saw a YouTube channel that has a lot of views about a, a girl who was talking about this living out of her car. Like she was actually homeless. Like just even like being honest about your situation or whatever's gone with you, like can get you just as much like views and sponsorships and attention than like trying to do sex work. So just if you're in a position right now where you're considering getting to the industry, like I'm just trying to do the dollars and cents aspect of it that like just from speaking to you and like now looking at a lot of these other people, it, it doesn't even make economic sense anymore. And not to mention, it could be really tough to get out of the industry and or it could penalize, you know, if you try to go legit, it could penalize you. So just be aware of that for anybody who might be considering it. Absolutely. I would uh, definitely say that, as I said, like once you get into the industry, it's really hard to get out for the reasons that you've already kind of like stigmatized yourself. And, you know, I want to just say that really clearly. The stigma will never go. Like the stigma, as much as you try to normalize, quote unquote, sex work, the men will always treat you like a whore. It doesn't fucking change. It will never change. It's the worst thing that you will experience when you, when you get into this industry because they treat you like fucking shit and crossing your boundaries. Like, you know, if you're offering a certain type of content or whatever, like they will deliberately go and tell you the shit that you don't want to hear. And no one prepares you for that. For the depravity that our men are going through, are willing to go through when trying to literally fuck with you when you are an online prostitute. And so illegal stuff, things that start with P, things that start with beast, like things about their children, like, oh yeah, very, very important. The shaming of their partners, like, you know, oh yeah, my ugly wife is lying next to me, but I'm talking to you, you know, and this is a really common thing. So far so that it's become a whole genre fetish that models offer and especially femdoms, the whole like homewrecker thing. They literally actually, you know, portray the whole I'm better than your wife kind of thing to make money. You know, it's all gone marketing wise and like, you know, capitalism wise, it's gone full on depraved and without boundaries and ways to escape it because you can't. Once you're on OnlyFans or on Twitter or something for that matter, you will get the most depraved messages, images and videos and stuff sent. And it's insane. I mean, we believe you. I mean, we were moderators on Reddit, so I can only imagine what you saw. And we were pretty grossed out just with that website. So I can only imagine what you were being sent. It's probably, I, yeah, I can't. I'm sorry. I'm just sorry men aren't better, but it's like, there's just, you know what I mean? Like, there's no bottom to male depravity. And I cannot stress this enough. Like, when we talk about normalizing sex work, it's like, if you let them normalize, like sex work, like they will literally try to normalize every disgusting thing that you could like possibly conceive and even more so, right? So like just listening to the stuff they're sending you, it's sad, it's sick and unsurprising. Um, so can I just quickly touch on the femdom aspect? Because this isn't going to be like another dragon of BDSM because we drag it all over the shop on FDS. But one thing that the as you know, I'm quite critical of the BDSM community. And one of, you know, my main criticisms is that it replicates gender dynamics perfectly. And this is why BDSM will never, ever be illegal in conservative countries. So if you went to a conservative nation and said, I like to tie up my wife and beat her for sexual pleasure, they'll be like, okay, yeah, rock on, go for it, you know? But when I say this, you know, when I point out the fact that BDSM is a very, very gendered place in that, you know, 99% of the males in it are doms and 99% of the women are subs. There's always that one idiot who was like, there are female doms too. 
But from what I've heard from female doms is that their experience is often, it's not the same as the male doms experience. So it'll be interesting to get your perspective, having been a female dom to, I'm assuming, to male subs, you know, what that was like and the dynamics of those sorts of relationships. Absolutely. So (laughs) I lost most of my subs in sessions after the first sessions that they can come back because I did what I wanted to do because I was like I'm the fucking boss here I want to fucking do what I want to do I will do a little bit of what you booked me for as in you know you are to explain they will choose you for a session because you look a certain way because you offer a list of fetishes that they are into so you are a fetish dispenser from the beginning. You are uh, dehumanized and objectified from the beginning. And then so they pick you and then they ask for a session. They're like, hey, mistress, I'm into. And my specialty was from the beginning, ball busting. So kicking men in balls, chastity, telling men to fucking keep their dick locked and send me the keys because they should just stop using their penises and just stop wanking to porn. That's kind of like my moral high ground that I was like on the whole time through. It was like, oh, yeah, I mean, this is not a bad job kind of thing. It was like, you know. (laughs) Damn, I was going to say, I don't think this femdom thing is actually a bad idea. (laughs) I'm joking. I'm joking. (laughs) No, but like now, listen, listen, the reality of it all, you know, the reality of it all is obviously that they didn't come back because I wanted to have fun. So one of my main fun things that I did was like ride in princess saddle on their backs, like get on your fucking knees, like giggling, like a fucking, just ridiculing them, ridiculing them. And in lots of dungeons, they have like mirrors. I would be like, oh yeah, come on, you pig. Just stand in front of the mirror and just look in your fucking ugly ass face. Look how fucking pathetic you are. Like what a fucking disgusting creature you are. And I'm sitting on him like, like a princess, like not pony play because he likes to do pony play. Like, you know, no. I want to sit on his fucking back. I want him to like drag on his fucking knees and carry me around. I'm fairly small, whatever. It was fun. Like, you know, it was fun calling them pigs and stuff. Like, you know, it was fun. (laughs) They they hate that. They don't want to do what I want to do. Like a lot of them would be like stopping me and be like, oh, mistress, that's a little bit like, and I'm like, okay, turn like, Jesus Christ, man. And yeah, again, I'm a really shit dumb because they mostly didn't return because I did that with almost everyone. So it seems like as, and you know, your experience aligns with the complaints from a lot of female doms is that the, these so-called male subs, they just see you as some sort of kink dispenser, almost in the same way as a, as a female sub, but they just see you as a kink dispenser and not as a person. Whereas the thing is with female subs is that at least from my experience and from, and from other female subs I connected with and also the experiences of female subs on the internet is that they actually see their dominant as a human being and they recognize that they're not interacting with a kink or a set of kinks, they're interacting with a person. And this is why women in BDSM, you know, whether you are a dom or a sub, they just get the raw end of the deal because men do not return the favor. And really important, like, you know, in these dom sessions, like, you know, in prostitution and in film prostitution, so pornography, you can dissociate, like, you know, that's the only way to survive. Like, you know, you just stare at the camera, you're like, you just clock out, snap out of it. In a dom session, you have to be alert all of the time. You have to kind of like, you know, I still try to be a good dom, but I think the 
only that one round pony thing and letting him look at his disgusting face was enough for most of them to break it with me. Even though they might have enjoyed the rest of it and they might have actually now comes the fucking disgusting part. I was like, oh yeah, kicking men's balls, how class, like that's fucking fun. And I also did like CBT, you know, stomping on like literally with like shoes and shit. Like I was like, oh my God. But anyway, they pay me for it. I'll fucking do it. So they come from it. Like one guy, I nearly vomited everywhere because I can't like, he literally, I kicked his balls, kicked his all fucking shit around and he ejaculated from it. It was like, oh, thank you, mistress. And, <laughs> and I was just like, like, get, like. Like gagging, I was like oh so unprofessional. Like, <laughs> but then I told him like to lick it up and fuck it. But anyway, oh my god, man, what the fuck? It broke me. That's one of the realizations. I was like, my god, you know, they actually like it. Oh my god. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, males were a mistake. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Like honestly. I had this like returning customer that on cam who ate his own shite and he uh, didn't realize that whenever I had him, like I would just put something over my screen. Like, you know, I just put another like window over it, but he had to eat the whole plate. Like, and he, he would like, he's. Oh my. Oh my God. And sorry, sorry, really sorry. But like before he came, he would be like, oh, mistress, I know you hate this. <laughs> like he came to me because he knew I really hated it. Like, you know. Yeah, again, boundaries. But I was like, okay, well, I'm going to put up my minute price to like, at one point it was like 10 quid per minute. And he would eat there. I would make a grand, one, five, just from a call like that, because he would be there for hours. This is the time I wish we had video podcasts because the shock Pikachu <laughs> face I have right now, <laughs> I can't describe. So I'm really sorry. Like, it's so disgusting. I mean, no, it's like... I'm never surprised. That's the thing. Like, there's nothing you can say to me where I'd be like, no, a man wouldn't do that. There's nothing you can say to me that would make me feel like, oh, no, there's no man that would possibly. No, of course. Of course there are. Like, that's, yeah. Yeah. Like, he loves to deprave himself so much that he pays all of his money. Like, he didn't have much money. Like, he wouldn't come for another, like, two months that one time then I put it really high. But that's how fucked up they are. He had to come to me. He had to come to that one mistress who, who had it in, his, in her, I have in my profile. I was like, no shit like that. Okay. Well, we are not doing this here. He wants to coerce you into watching him eat his own shit. And pay way too much money for it too. Yes. To fuck him up really like a lot. And that's his thing. But yeah, lots of them. I think that's one of my worst and best because again, like rich, you know. You know, if we start running out of resources because of global warming, I feel like we need to start just kind of rounding these type of guys up and just not letting them uh, consume any more air <laughs> or uh, anything. <laughs> no, it's a waste. It's a waste, honestly. Yeah, interesting thing. Well, what I did all the way through was like field research and like asking the same questions to all of the men. Like, why? How? Why are you doing? <laughs> why? Why are you doing this? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why are you? <laughs> Why are you into this shit? Why are you doing this? Like, why? Um, and most of them would tell me the story that comes out of the mind of, a, of an XY who has the emotional intelligence of a fucking pebble. They all had like pre-pubescent or like 
early puberty experiences, like, you know, the ball busters, for example, because they were fighting with a girl on the schoolyard and then kicked her. He, she kicked him on the balls and he kind of got hard because it was his first, like, contact, physical contact with girls. And that's how their organic kink forms. I have to really say that because nowadays when people say, oh, yeah, I have a kink, what they mean is, They've watched so much depraved pornography that they've now ended up at this certain kind of like stuff that they saw. You know, it's really important to say. But like my field research that was with predominantly like older, like most of the clients would be older, like 45 plus, I guess. Yeah, the organic development would be like stories like that. And even something with the poo stuff, like all of these, it would all be like early puberty. Again, like really weird connections like yeah fit foot fetish i had some foot fetishes as well looking at their mother sister teacher really important really important and getting a boner and then being like oh, that's my thing now apparently like what the hell who does that why why tell me because no because that's not what what i don't get it but again you know money they paid me money there were times where I got like lots of money off of them and stuff and that kept me in there. But yeah, only coming out, I realized again, I'm a fetish dispenser. Like, you know, they don't care. They literally do not care. So I focused on beta male humiliation. That was my thing the whole way through, you know, which is the over like umbrella term, which includes then, you know, chastity, kicking you in the dick, you know, emasculating you or yeah, this kind of stuff. Now there is the really important turning point or and kind of like important like crossover point that I have to the whole TRA stuff, which is obviously that I had lots and 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 lots of men asking me to sissify them, force feminize them or force uh by forced by with my partner then back then the the black guy i was doing like interracial cuckolding oh my gosh so you know that was in video but also like dominating another white male <gasps> um for being a beta male but wait one was i mean so men were actually paying for this they pay to buy condoms with the alpha males come in it I'm really sorry. <laughs> no. It's like, reliving me. This is so why I feel like I've left this call in <laughs> These are the creatures we're forced to share our planet with that think they should be our leaders. But can you imagine, like, these are the creatures that are, like, <laughs> running the world, our institutions. <laughs> what the actual fuck? Politics. These are the men that call themselves high value. Fuck me. <laughs> Alpha male can't like, Jesus wept. Like, Noah, send the flood. No, actually, God, send the flood. Start again. <laughs> Fucking yes. hell. Reset it all. No, honestly, the internet wasn't a good idea, especially for men, like, on a big... They're actually paying for this shit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, okay, so when I had this guy approach me, I had also money signs. I was like, yo, you know, I'm already a femdom. If I have a black male, I already knew about this fetish kind of stuff, right? I knew there's this interracial, if you do interracial, which is only ever, meaning a black man with a quote-unquote BBC, you know, you all know, and, you know, a white 
women and then there is these yeah there's lots of them and how it really started was with the popularizing of blacked and stuff you know black.com these really they call it like glamorous interracial focused mainstream porn that really boosted this whole like um movement of yeah interracial cuckolding which is you know quote-unquote beta males <laughs> um i call them you know so beta males that's like you know they're incels but they're like on the porn side right so they're just like um worth nothing women are you know they always pick the um, alpha male blah 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 my role is like just be a submissive servant but what they mean is be a fucking disgusting creep and eat weird shit and be a fucking depravity and in and of itself and the crossover there was is with the like kind of like sjw thing it gets twist more twisted with the whole like sissification for use of trans maxing so that you can get penetrated by these alpha males oh my god i'm really sorry but like oh my god yes this is like this Oh my god. Oh my god. I swear to God, I had this inkling that a lot of people online who are social justice warriors online, like it's actually a kink. And now you're just confirming it. They're like, like it's <laughs> <laughs> very important. We need to do like a whole episode on like lefty SJW prostitution porn because that's a whole episode. I got the distinct feeling like interacting with some SJWs online. I'm like, oh, I feel like this is sexual for you, but I can't prove it. <laughs> Confirmation. We need to definitely do a future episode on that. My gosh, like. Yeah, that's a run through. The stuff I've heard in this episode, wow, like. <laughs> oh my God. I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was that bad. Like, I didn't know, like, males would actually pay for that amount of depravity. Fucking hell. Oh my God. Yeah, these males call themselves, like, they have usernames like Virgin Loser 88 or 89 or whatever, like, usually around my age as well. <laughs> you can bet your life, you can bet your life, oh, yeah, yeah, your yeah, life yeah, as well. that these men would call themselves the Virgin Losers are on, like, the Red Pill and the Manosphere subreddits doing, like, Alpha Male 88, like, bet your life on that. I would say they're on the fucking incel forums. Like, that's my, the, my guess is that, you know, I guess they are literally just on <laughs> the incel so... forums as well. Like, it's all one thing. Like... <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing about incels. The thing about incels that's actually hilarious is like how they're bottom <laughs> barrel, but they still look down on sex workers like they're above it. Like, <laughs> they're like because people have suggested they're like okay so i used to read the incel forums where they get kicked off reddit but like they would actually have a rule that would say like oh don't suggest us to see prostitutes because like it's beneath us you know we should be able to get women without having to pay for it and everything so like they're super like they, they have no one but they're like super deep they think they're like actually above women still it's weird it's just well yeah they objectified them so much that you know it, it's only beautiful women for them the beta male the kind of cuck or the fucking they call you know the cuck or pussy free is also very important they are like i know i'm worth it i'm ugly and i'll just watch porn the whole time like you know but i'll never have sex because i know that i will fail like you know it's all like i have i'm literally like just bottom barrel but yeah they just get porn addicted and said that's their kind of way yeah, that, that was the kind of guys that I was dealing with for pretty much the whole time. And kind of like, and yeah, I made lots of money over the 
lockdown period then because I was locked down with my abuser with the few clips that I got out of him like like whatever it doesn't matter I could at least make lots of money like lots of money and that was like the highest paying but you know with least effort because I'm on like I was traumatized all the time and I couldn't get out of bed it was just really awful the whole time actually but I made 10k 12k 13k a month you know in three months in a row and then I got a really big like meltdown uh, like what's it called just uh, burnout and uh, had to start from scratch again and shortly after I was out basically but yeah I used this man like you know I knew he was gonna make me money that was also something that you know made me kind of stay and it also made me kind of like natural boundaries so that men would stop sending me it would mostly stop that they sent me like dick pics and like hey babe do you want to see this big like all of these kind of stuff because it really got this whole like i could be like i don't deal with like you are all beta males like basically i could say all you white men like leave me alone i'm a dumb i'm a you know i'm a mistress with this like alpha dude and you know as soon as you talk to me like with kind of like infantilizing language or something i can like kick you off and they you know mostly behaved because of that it was like a kind of like boundary that's the only thing that you can really do in this business is obviously that you get a find a fetish or something that you can then use you know to your benefits and that's when they stopped calling me like baby girl and all these kind of things and they stopped sending me their penis pictures and i could actually do like i did like small penis humiliation so they send me their dicks after they pay me 50 quid and then i ridicule them for how disgusting they are which you know better than nothing I had like a generic thing. Sometimes I didn't even look at them. Like it doesn't matter. So, you know, but anyway, that was kind of like, that's really important. Again, that's what I want to say about like boundaries for people who don't know what boundaries are in an industry that doesn't really provide boundaries. And doesn't respect them, even if you did. For me, that was what I kind of like did. I was like, unintentionally or like intentionally I was like if I you know this is gonna change everything if I am doing this now this is like I have another position kind of thing so change my whole marketing and change my name again I changed my name four times always to kind of like hopefully get start new like so they did they don't know what I did before and then you know start new they'll always like find me again or still be obviously following me and like seeing my whole like fucking attempt of getting through all of this but anyway yeah so that's the kind of story with that so what's your next steps for you so like what is your you know your plan or your pathway to i think transition to i guess more mainstream work like what are you interested in doing now um i need to heal first i I actually fled i fled from this abuser and the industry and everything from the uk i was living in london up until 2021 and came back to germany which where i've left like in 14 2014 never wanted to come back but I wanted to just get back on my public health and stuff and just get away from this stalker like he was literally stalking me up until the end like it was just insane and just want to get on therapy I'm still waiting Um, it's been a year now because the you know everything is just overloaded but yeah I just want to heal I want to speak out I want to like I literally need to speak out because you know more people need to speak out I don't give a fuck I've been abused. I've been like verbally abused in the industry called ugly and looking like a man or whatever forever. And I will just keep doing that. I don't give a fuck. I need to expose 
this whole fucking shithole. I will not stop with that. I will keep talking and that's what part of my life will be. I want to start writing more and stuff like that. But yeah, after my therapy, which is coming up, and then I want to help survivors, but also women with like body issues, maybe detransitioners doing something called like nature coaching. It's basically just like, you know, mindfulness and nature. You just walk together and you can like reflect on maybe you look at something in nature and maybe it reminds you of something and you just organically get into something maybe deeper or find out something about yourself. It's not a therapy like thing, but something like that. I'm very much like that. I'm actually a hippie. So I want a hippie in the sense that I think if women or if generally humans would have more contact just with like the organic world and just see that they're like part of the whole of a whole like ecosystem, we're just like, one bit of the planet and yeah like things like how you look and how you're how people make you feel or something maybe they aren't as important as you always think maybe you know looking for validation online and and all these kind of things are actually you know unhealthy and having more time in in nature and getting rid of all of that for for a bit that's kind of like what i want to build my future business or like what i do in probably like ngos or things like that and that's what i want to do Cool. That all sounds so, so wholesome, uh, Roxy, and we wish you all the best in that journey. And thank you for sharing your story with us. It was very enlightening, sobering, and at times entertaining. But overall, it's a very, very, I guess, a powerful look into into the sex trade and what it is actually about as well. So, so thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And maybe in the future, we'll do a bonus content for people who can stomach it on like on some of your femdom travels i mean i knew it was bad but <laughs> i didn't know it was that bad oh the bdsm community just yes. <laughs> needs to just die but that's another conversation fuck me um one important like just tip for all just all female listeners just you know when someone talks about like oh yeah i watch porn whatever like question what kind of porn they they are watching you know where have they ended up already like you know are they on per page 103 or <laughs> like you know <laughs> <laughs> that's not funny but yeah it's true i know what you mean like you know exactly what you mean they're deep into that book and they're it's not true. coming back right they're gonna finish it all the way <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, ladies, I just feel like my ovaries have just shrunk <laughs> in this episode. Like they've just folded. They've just been absorbed back into my body. Every day we stray further from God's light. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Honestly, I fully believe like this is a Bible reference, but Sodom and Gomorrah was probably referring to like BDSM stuff. I'm convinced. I am totally convinced that God was totally in the right. <laughs> because <laughs> when you read what was happening it was like god sent his angels down to sodom and then like a group of men tried to gang rape the angel so i'm like oh yeah i think god was like you know what fuck all y'all <laughs> oh my god listen if god thinks it's time to start the fuck over <laughs> with the male species yes it's time to hit the delete button he was probably like, yeah, I don't know why I created this kind of like rapey, gross thing. Like it's time to hit the delete button on humanity. This is so funny. Like pretty much the entire Old Testament is God hitting the delete button on like on men like multiple times because he's just like, I keep giving you free will and you just keep making all this disgusting shit with it. Keep doing all this disgusting shit. So yeah, I mean, if even God thinks humanity was irredeemable for like, 
thousands of years before Jesus, then, you know, who are we? Who are we to question this judgment? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I guess that's what I would call it as well. I think if you are at the level where, you know, women, really young women with 18 come on the internet, on Twitter and open the OnlyFans and uh, already have kinks like um, consensual, non-consent and uh, really bad other things, then it's time to question everything. And obviously, yeah, the same goes for those creeps that have to be ex- exposed for what they are and what they actually do online. And the depravity has no ends. Like it's gone way too far. A little thing to Google for you is, and that I want to finish off with that, is we have ended up where porn addiction is a fetish and it's called gooning. Gooning. Oh, no. (laughs) G-O-O-N-A. And well, yeah, that's literally what it is. They also call themselves like porn sexuals under the whole like flag fucking thing. You know what I mean? Christ. You know what I mean? You know, if you do it in the LGBTQ thing. Are they an oppressed minority now? (laughs) Yeah. Or they're tech sexual, like, I don't know, whatever, like monosexual, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, that's how far we are now. And that's like basically the end. Yeah, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, that's it. So this was an enlightening conversation. Um. (laughs) Yeah. A further deep dive into male depravity. God. Yeah. Thank you for listening to me and my disgusting stories. Thank you so much for coming on, Roxy. No, this is great. I mean, I absolutely, I love, I think the granular detail about both the economic aspects of it and then like what exactly you're getting into when you get into sex work is so mm-hmm. important because no one, t- like no one tells you, like you said, like no one says anything about like what's actually, the industry is actually like when you get in it. So this is, I think, hopefully super valuable for anybody listening. So, mm-hmm. all right. So I think I'll wrap. Uh, did you have anything else, Savannah? No, no. I'm just sighing at the despair of just what I've just heard. I'm still processing it. God, I just feel like... I, yeah, I think Old Testament God needs to make a reappearance because... <laughs> Honestly, like Sodom and Gomorrah was talking about male depravity. Like they rewrote the Bible so it was like men and women, but there's no way men became this fucked up just now. Like that's what they were talking about back then. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so if you want to talk about this episode, uh, you can check us out on thefemaledatingstrategy.com. And also, if you want to listen to weekly bonus content, talk to us about this episode on the Discord, which I'm sure a lot of people have a lot of feedback, so I'm interested to hear. Go to patreon.com forward slash thefemaledatingstrategy. Follow us on Twitter at femdatstrat and on our Instagram at underscore thefemaledatingstrategy. Thanks for listening, queens. And for all you scrotes out there, I hope Old Testament God smites you. <laughs> While you sleep, die mad. (laughs) See you next week.